You're listening to the Golden West Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I explore the best in food and wine on the West Coast, including California, Oregon, and Washington. We're about to go on a journey, exploring the people and stories behind the vineyards, farms, and kitchens. So grab a drink, fire up your grill, pull up a seat to the table, and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by Kova Coffee. Kova is a specialty roaster out of Portland, Oregon, and they're known for single-origin coffees, and they're committed to long-term, sustainable partnerships with coffee producers. Now, if you're like me, I love coffee. I always start my day off with a cup or two. I make it by hand with a pour-over, but it doesn't matter how you make yours. You can use a pour-over, maybe use a Chemex, maybe you just use a basic Mr. Coffee machine. It doesn't matter, but what does matter is the beans. You don't want those burnt, over-roasted corporate coffee beans that you find in the grocery store, and I don't even bother with that store brand stuff. So here's what you do. I'm going to make it really easy for you. Just go to kovacoffee.com, that's C-O-A-V-A, coffee.com, and use our promo code, GOLDENWEST. You'll get $5 off your first purchase. Do it now while you're thinking about it, and your coffee will show up at your doorstep as soon as you know it. Today in the show, we have John Felix Lund. John is the Vice President of Operations at Kova Coffee Roasters. Enjoy my conversation with John. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. It's really nice to join you and talk about coffee. Well, it's great having you here. I've been a coffee drinker for a long time, and I think like many people, gosh, I remember starting out when I first started drinking coffee coffee in college. It was maybe one step up from Folgers, but (laughs) I can think of a couple chains that come to mind. But, you know, further along my path, I started getting interested in really small batch craft coffee and kind of the so-called third wave, which it's, I mean, it's amazing how far things have come. So let's get into your background, how you came to coffee, and then we can get into Kova where you work and um, and hear more about that too. Great. Uh, I had a similar experience where, you know, I think lots of people when they're in college or once they, you know, move outside of school and they have a need to stay up late, like caffeine kind of becomes their drug of choice to get things done. And that's where I was as well. And I studied international business when I went to school and that's where I really kind of became interested in coffee. And my path is a little bit different than a lot of my peers who started, you know, working as a barista or somehow kind of got drawn into the industry. Um, I kind of came at it from kind of a, the international business side. And I thought it, the product itself was just so fascinating because coffee really is a global product with a global supply chain. And it seems that every culture has their way of, uh, of brewing and drinking coffee. Uh, so it really kind of captured, uh, captured my imagination. And then I started to get into it. Um, and specialty coffee was, was really starting to take off or craft coffee as we know it now, uh, around that time. And after school, I moved to Portland after traveling a bit and I started working in Portland. So I've been, I've been in the coffee world for 15, 16 years now. And I've been, I'd say for the last 10 to 12 really been working with coffee roasters and a really high caliber of coffee and I've seen it grow really rapidly all over the country. And it's been fascinating and really enjoyable to be a part of. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting background that you have. Let's talk about Kova and um, obviously based in Portland, but they also have a brick and mortar location in San Diego. But Portland, you know, when I think about Portland, a lot of things come to mind, but obviously a lot of craft kind of whether it's uh, chocolate or, or, or different crafts like foods and things like that and coffee being kind of the number one thing, beer. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what is it, what, you know, let's get into Kova and kind of how it got going in a garage in Portland in 2008. Yeah. But Portland is definitely a special place. And I think different people have coined it as, as people are just kind of obsessive here and they'll, They'll get into something and just be incredibly obsessed about it until they can get it right. Or, you know, folks will go into like these really kind of esoteric specialties. And I think that Kova is no exception to that. Matt Higgins, who founded the company back in 2008, had been in the coffee world, um, traveling all over, going international, you know, very involved with the competition scene that was developing we had roasted, he built machines, or worked on machines in terms of maintenance, had done training, had been a barista. And he was at a shop called the Albina Press here in Portland, which is one of the very early shops that helped helped really kind of set the playing field for the, some of the growth, especially coffee folks that came out of that shop at that time. Many of them went on to do really great things. So when Matt... Matt opened Kova in 2008. He had, I'd say, quite an obsessive, specialized vision for what he wanted the company to be. And it was all built around offering single origin coffees that highlight farmers, producers, growing regions. And at that time in coffee, uh, you still had mostly blends being served in coffee shops. And he really just thought that was boring. And he thought, you know, was seeing this entire world of micro lots that have their own unique flavors and profiles that he wanted to offer specifically to coffee shops and to baristas. And so that was where a huge part of the motivation came for him to start his own company roasting out of his garage. And so since then, it's always been a focus of ours as a company to find and partner with these small farmers and then bring that exact coffee lot to market for people to taste. And so we may have coffees that don't last as long on the menu, but you get to taste, you know, from this one producer in this one part of Honduras, a coffee that will come around once a year and be really unique and have its own kind of DNA in terms of a sensory profile. Yeah. And talk a little about single origin coffees versus blends, as you referred to there and the difference for people who don't know. Yeah, on a broad scale, these terms get confused a lot. So for a single origin coffee, we would define that as a coffee that comes from one country and is not mixed with other countries. But you really could you could splice that down in many ways. So a blend on kind of face value would be a coffee that oftentimes is built around a profile. And so you may want it to taste a certain way. And so you're going to bring components in and out from different countries, different growing regions, processing um, backgrounds to try to build a a consistent profile. Um, And oftentimes from a blend, we would just say, well, any coffees that are mixed together um, that aren't as transparent to one area would kind of qualify as a blend. So you could have a blend from one growing region 
but someone could also call that single origin. So for us, when we talk about single origin, what we're really talking about is it, it needs a tie to um, a region. It needs a, there needs to be a transparent pathway to where that coffee is coming from. And so let's take, for example, Honduras, where we do a lot of work. We have coffees that are tied to one producer and they might only, and we buy like their entire harvest and um, they're only going to produce enough coffee for us to run for maybe one month on our menu. Um, But you could also have areas, you know, let me think of another one, like a lot of Ethiopian coffees. uh, You can't get a single producer coffee very easily because uh, they're built into co-ops and most of the producers have a very small amount of land that they own or tend to. And so then they contribute those coffees to a co-op. And so we would buy from that co-op and it might be a collection of hundred producers, but we would still consider that a single origin coffee because it's tied to that regional, um, the DNA of that area, that regional footprint um, where if we then took an Indonesian coffee or a Latin American coffee and blended it with that Ethiopian coffee, that's where we would qualify it as a blend. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And we're going to get into a couple of the people you work with and some of the farms here in a minute. But, you know, one thing to point out and talk about is just how coffee has changed, um, you know, from many, many years ago to being this kind of drink that people are just using to kind of get a caffeine mechanism Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe. And then, you know, it kind of got associated with like donut shops, I think about in maybe the seventies, I don't know, sixties and seventies. And then, you know, when Starbucks came on the scene, it was, it was all about kind of this experience and, and um, you know, Howard Schultz had went over to, uh, you know, Italy and there's kind of a whole story there, but we've started to see this evolution and then Pete's came on the scene out of Berkeley. Um, you know, talk a little about kind of roast profiles and for people who have had like really dark over roasted and maybe burnt type coffee. And then, you know, when they try their first specialty coffee, that's maybe been a little more lightly roasted, like mm-hmm. you said, there's all these other things that go into it. Farming, it's, it's a really like a wake up not a wake up call, <laughs> kind of like a, yeah. like an epiphany an experience. So talk a little about kind of the roasting and maybe that evolution. Yeah. The, I mean, I think you're touching on a number of things. And one of those is this trend away from a commodity type product into a specialty product. And um, that, that starts to become about flavor. And of course you can have a flavor preference in all kinds of directions, but most most people, especially coffee, as you buy really great and expensive green coffee, you don't want to roast it too dark uh, because then you destroy some of why you bought that. You're limiting the potential. And so where you place that roast profile in terms of essentially how long are you cooking or developing that, that's really determining, you know, that, that's, that's really up for debate. So some people can still go on the darker spectrum or the lighter spectrum. But in general, I think it's really great to compare it to bread. You know, if you have, if you're going to bake a loaf of bread and you, you know, you put it in the oven and it comes out and it looks great, like golden brown, but it's doughy in the center. Okay, well, you didn't do it right. Um, and if you're going to bake a loaf of bread, like you don't want to burn it because it's going to taste like carbon. So 
when we think about roasting, it's really about development. What we would like to do is we would like to take it through this, the coffee through this complex process that has all kinds of chemical reactions going on to develop the flavor. And we want to develop it enough to build sweetness and richness and body in the cup once we brew it um, without sacrificing those delicate compounds that make up uh, aromatics. Uh, And they can be floral, they can be sweet, they can be rich, they can be earthy. Um, And we also want to hold on to some acidity. It's really easy to have a coffee that has no acidity. Think about fruit. If you have an overripe banana, it tends to lose its liveliness and its acidity. And when it's perfectly ripe, that's when it's the best. It's this combination of sweetness mixed with acidity. And acidity makes the the fruit taste lively and interesting while also being sweet. And if you have it and it's underripe, it's all acidity and it doesn't have sweetness to balance it out. So when we think about coffee, that's that's kind of the approach we take. We want to find a balanced roast profile to to really showcase the coffee that we are roasting, which is different per origin and per coffee. And then people have their own preferences within that. You know, a lot of specialty coffee, you know, from folks that aren't as familiar with it, it's, it can get a bad rap for being too bright, too much acidity. And, you know, from our position, we think some people do roast too light and we don't love that. And then we think some people roast darker. And again, it's open to preference, but where we choose to roast coffee is where we think it's that right combination of development and yeah i think you you hit the nail right on the head because you know that's one thing i love about kova coffee is is that balance and it's still um you know it's roasted in kind of a lighter way but than than others but you still have you know some of the sweetness as you mentioned and, and some of the chocolatey notes and mocha and depending on the obviously the the varietal um or sorry, the, mm-hmm. the type of, uh, yeah, coffee and farm. And, um, you know, that's one thing I really like. So <laughs> I was thinking about varietal because I was going to compare it to wine and, um, like you, the bread was a great analogy and wine and coffee, they don't have too much in common, but I think there are a few important things. One is this concept of blending and then single origin or single varietal kind of in the wine world. And, um, mm. you know, it used to be kind of all about these blends where they would just throw everything in there. And, they, and oftentimes like mm. in these vineyards, they'd be, they wouldn't even know like what was growing. It would be like Cabernet and Zinfandel and like a bunch of yeah. things. And they would kind of like just throw it, <laughs> throw it into make kind of like a table wine or something. And it doesn't yeah. mean it's not, you know, it wasn't delicious for, you know, like you said, these things have evolved. And, but now it's, uh, there's this pendulum that's kind of swung the other way in the wine world where, and this happened in specialty coffee where these wines were just so alcoholic and rich and dark um, and, uh, and the, the pendulum kind of swung the other way to basically picking the fruit earlier, which would, uh, it results in basically lower alcohol, more austere wines. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's funny because the, that pendulum swung a little bit too far. And now there's this pushback to say <laughs> some of these wines are like so acidic, as you mm-hmm. just said. And so sour. Um, and so where basically this group came about called In Pursuit of Balance, which they were trying to, you know, you know push the, 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 uh, the winemaking to kind of becoming a little bit less alcoholic and things, but it almost swung a little bit too far. So as you mentioned in specialty coffee, that's one thing is you can have, you know, I've tasted coffees and I'm like, whoa, this is so sour and so acidic. And I can appreciate you know, the picking up different notes and things like that. But, but, you know, that is one thing I love about Kova is having that balance. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it does depend on how you're going to brew it too. So that's one major difference between a product like wine where it's a little bit easier to maintain that product as long as you don't damage it through, you know, excessive heat or exposure to the elements where when you have a bag of coffee beans and it's fresh, well, it's losing that freshness quickly. And, uh, how you're going to brew that is really different. So we're constantly learning and growing. And the longer I've been doing this, I'm, I'm constantly experiencing new situations. So I'll go to New Mexico and the elevation's high enough that we can't hit a certain water tent that we would normally use. So we're constantly adjusting and changing. And we were talking about this at Cova with our green uh, sourcing team and roasting team just the other day that when we taste coffees, we actually need to try them, you know, in, in all kinds of different combinations to get a sense for how are other people tasting those. So we might taste a coffee that's three days off roast and next to a coffee, the same coffee that's been, it was roasted 10 or 14 days ago to see, you know, how is it performing at these different marking points? And then also, you know, what about it on a different grinder with different water? Um, so all those things are really important and fascinating because they're going to give you a different experience with your coffee. Most home coffee brewers don't get hot enough to, to extract everything out of the coffee that you might want. So, yeah. The, yeah. You brought up some really you know important tips there. And obviously, like you said, that's one big difference between um, something like coffee and, and wine or beer or other type of items where the, it lo- starts losing freshness pretty quickly and it's mm-hmm. not something you can you know store for years. So there's all types of supply chain issues and issues with, you know, getting people the coffee and that's freshly roasted. So let's talk a little about, you know, you touched on getting the water hot enough and things. Let's talk a little about brew methods and um, just some general tips that you have or things that come to mind. For me, um, I usually use a pour over. So um, for people who aren't familiar, we can go into a few of the you know basics. But you know, you, you've got the pour over, you've got the uh, French press, and you have you know there are a few other devices that that are pretty common out there. But um, you know, with the pour over, uh, it's I kind of it's been this you know, road and path for me to dial it in to get exactly how I like it. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's been a lot of experimentation. So um, mm-hmm. talk a little about some of the ideas that you incorporate or what, what you like to tell people. Yeah. I mean, this is a topic that we could get really detailed in. So I'll, I'll try to start broad. I think for everyone, the most important things to know are you want to start with great coffee. And so you need great coffee, you know, and, and let's say you take us, for example, well, someone might try one of our, you know, eight to 10 offerings and they might like one much more than another one. They might not like one coffee based on the profile. Like there could be a coffee that's too fruity for them, right? So choosing the right coffee, what you like and having it be fresh. So really trying to consume coffee about 14 days off its roast date um, is ideal. And you're going to notice changes in the coffee as it ages. So if you get a coffee and you taste it three or four or five days off the roast versus 14 days, it's going to be a little different after 14 days, it's going to change. And if it's sealed, you're not going to notice a massive drop off. It's going to kind of hold this character. You're just going to miss out on some of those really delicate, um, volatiles that you had in the beginning. Uh, so when it's, so it, that's when it's kind of best. So starting with great coffee and then having a great grinder, I think those are the two, more biggest things, maybe I'd add one good water. So um, if you're in an area that has a lot of dissolved salt, dissolved solids already in your water, 
some hard water, then it's really important to start with something with less dissolved solids. So either through a filtration method. So you, usually like what we see is if you're in California, um, you know, your water has a lot more dissolved solids. So most of the coffee shops use a reverse osmosis system to basically strip the water from what it has and then add some of it back in. So there's a certain amount of, of TDS, total dissolved solids. So having good water, fresh coffee, and a good grinder, those are probably actually the three most important things to to produce really nice coffee at home. And there, it's not hard to get. You know, a decent grinder can run you 100 bucks to a to two hundred dollars, and we we really like you know Barazza. Those are great grinders. You know, a burr grinder. But if you have the best coffee, but you're using a blade grinder, it's going to be tough to make it taste really great and to be consistent. So, yeah, um, and the key point there with the burr grinder is grinding, making the grinds all the same size instead of a variation of all these different shapes. Is that right? Yeah, it's ha- it's being able to have a consistent particle size when you grind. And also having control over which particle size you want to choose. So when you have a blade grinder, you're just, the only method you have is how long you're going to grind it for. And then maybe the, how you like to shake, you know, your grinder when you're doing it, where if you have a burr grinder, you can brew a cup of coffee and you can say, wow, that, that coffee doesn't have enough richness and depth and sweetness. So what you can do is you can go a little finer on your grind. So you can notch it one notch finer, and then you can taste it again. And you'll notice the difference in your grind setting has a massive difference in how your coffee is going to taste. The delivery of the water, I would say, is actually less important once you get to kind of a a threshold. So you don't want to flood the coffee with water. You don't want to go too slow. You don't want your extraction to take too long. But generally speaking, if you're doing pour-over, you can use a similar kind of method for any pour-over. And that's a very simple formula. So for the amount of coffee you have, we always like to do what's called a bloom pour. So the fresher your coffee is, the more carbon dioxide it's going to give off once it gets uh, hit with water. So we add a little bit of water, just enough to basically saturate the bed of coffee. And that's one to two times the weight of that coffee if you were going to weigh it out. And we let it sit for 45 seconds. And what that does is it allows the coffee to expand and all that water to kind of saturate all the coffee pieces because you don't want dry spots in there. And then from that point, you just... Gently kind of add the rest of your water and try to be really even to the point that uh, you have enough and then it's going to filter out. So you don't want to add too much water or too little water because then your strength is going to be off. But that's the basic setup. So if you have a good grinder, good water, and good coffee, if you can just get that basic setup, it's going to taste great. I think sometimes think, sometimes people think that how they pour the water is so important and um, it can definitely have a, a difference, but uh, it's minimal. Yeah, those those are great tips for people getting going. And I know for me, once I started doing it, the using a pour over and kind of doing it the old fashioned way, the handheld way, I never went back to like a Mr. Coffee or any type of automatic machine because mm-hmm. the process of doing it and and doing it yourself and um and actually you know creating that finished product is. I don't know. I think there's something to be said for it and, and taking a little more time and care to do it. And it's, um, it, you can also, like we talked about, experiment with all types of things as far as grind size and you know, water temperature and the type of filter you use. So you can, you know, you can have a lot of fun with it. But those are some great basic tips. Like you said, starting with good coffee beans is the number one thing above mm-hmm. all. So even if you still have a Mr. Coffee at home or, you know, maybe you don't want to step up your game, um, in the kind of equipment department, but, or maybe you do, but either way, uh, we're going to have a link here to 
Kova coffee. And we even have a promo code Golden West that you can uh, put in and, and save a little bit of money. Now, you know, I'm looking here at the website. Let's get into some of the coffees. And we talked a little bit about kind of the farming and things so we can touch on that. But, you know, I'm looking at the bags, which are so colorful. You guys went through a branding change Mm-hmm. Uh, recently you, maybe we can touch on that but um you know I, I love the old bags too with the brown kind of brown and red but these uh these new bags are so colorful and the way i think about it just for me is to kind of divide up like african coffees kind of more bright more floral in that way more citrus maybe a little more acidity and then south america being a little bit darker and richer and things like that is um how would you or is that a good way to think about it for people yeah the it used to be that it was easier to kind of have a a profile for a region and with all the changes and sharing of information from farms um, there are farms in you know latin america that are using raised drying beds that are from africa typically and so with all this kind of sharing and learning as the the world has changed in the green uh, coffee kind of in a farming world, it's a little harder to say this region is going to taste this way compared to this one. But yeah, you can make some, you can make some, I don't know, kind of extrapolations on profile that Latin American coffees tend to be great for people that want something a little bit more mellow, maybe chocolatey, a little bit more comfortable uh, or comforting. And then African coffees tend to be on the wild side. You can get really big fruit flavors. You can get a lot of acidity, a lot of complex floral notes. Um, so, but but again, at the end of the day, I would say it depends on the coffee. And we we have the, the color scheme that we have for our bags is tied to the regions. So we have Central America, South America, and then Africa in different colors. And we the bag design is actually an interesting topic because we have from the very beginning kind of had this really strong appreciation and just kind of need to honor the producers and the hard work that goes into the coffee before we get it. And so when we put these bags together, it was kind of this, the colors are meant to represent how much work comes from the origin that half of this product is, is, is not something we've done. It's, it's what the farmers have done and what the land has been able to produce. And then the other half is kind of what, what we contribute to it. So there's definitely some philosophy that went into those bags, but we love having a little bit of color. And I think it just helps people relate to the coffees a little bit easier. Uh, we yeah. spend all day thinking about this, but no one can be an expert in everything, you know, and I don't, you know, I love food, but you know, I don't drink the finest bourbons every day, but these are some of the finest coffees. And so we're trying to make it accessible for people to find what they like. Yeah, and I'm seeing on the website here, Colombia, Indonesia, Mexico, Ethiopia, Honduras, Guatemala. Um, and, and we're going to get into some of the people who you honor, Robinson Figueroa. And, um, you know, there's others, Benjamin Miranda, who I believe you guys have had a mug for sale, maybe still do honoring him, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and you just touched on one thing that we never brought up, which is maybe you know, something to just touch on briefly is coffee is actually a shrub that it comes from a, is it a cherry shrub or? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe touch on that just briefly. Cause I, I think a lot of people don't know that. And I, I was surprised to learn when I did. And I, people are always surprised when I tell them. Yeah. I think for folks that are interested taking a few minutes, check out the website and see some pictures because yeah, coffee is this shrub that, that grows these small cherries and the cherries are primarily filled with seed 
the coffee beans, the coffee seeds. And so um, you can take a ripe coffee cherry and put it in your mouth and it can be really sweet and have tropical fruits, but there's very little fruit. So it's not like the kind of cherries we're used to eating from the grocery store. And uh, so there's a small layer of skin. And so when the coffee is picked, it goes into what we refer to as processing. And that processing method determines a lot of the flavor uh, that is going to either retain, be retained or added or, you know, basically just evolve through the process. So you can pick a cherry and just dry it like a raisin and that'd be called the natural or dry process. And you're going to have a lot of fruit forward notes in those coffees. And then you, then you, then you strip everything off to where it's just the seed and before you roast it. Um, and then you can have a wash process where you take off the skin and then it goes through a fermentation stage to loosen all the fruit around the seed and then it goes into a drying stage. And then there are a number of processing methods in between there where you leave some amount of fruit or you do some amount of fermentation. So, um, so there is a whole complex world of how that processing will affect flavor, but yeah, it's a, it's a cherry. And most people don't understand that, that, you know, every single, pretty much from the coffee you're getting from us, every single cherry is handpicked. And then not all those cherries actually make it into the final lot because they're sorted off continually for quality the densest coffee cherries and the ripest are going to tend to be the ones that taste the best. So there's constantly this sorting happening through the processing into the dry mill where they're milling out um, defective coffee just so that your one cup that might have, you know, 20 beans or so, uh, that one cup, every one of those beans is important to maintain the quality of the cup. Yeah, that's great insight. And let's touch on a couple of the farmers that you work with, because like you said, it, all the work really, it starts in the, on these farms and the amount of, um, you know, attention to detail and, and care that goes into it is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think probably one of the best farmers to talk about is actually Benjamin Miranda's neighbor, which is David Mencia from Honduras. So those two producers we've been working with for a long time. And David Mencia, I'd say, is the case study for our sourcing program that we use a lot. And it's been really successful. We've been, we've been buying his coffee, I think, for getting close to 10 years now. And his quality has increased over the years. And it's one of the, it's one of the highest scoring best coffees in the world when you think about it in relationship to all the other coffee that's produced. But he's got an incredibly small operation. And it's really attention to you know, off season work on his farm, picking ripe cherries, making sure he's properly washing, fermenting and drying the coffee. And then we've helped him gain access to a better processing equipment on his farm. So he can have a little bit more control over the process. And a really fun story about this coffee is that he used to have to put the coffee uh, in big jute bags and then put them over his donkey and walk a few hours to the mill because he didn't have milling equipment himself. So people would go to the mill, drop their coffee, and then it would get processed. And that's not ideal for a number of reasons because he might not be able to get his coffee picked at peak ripeness into the mill in time. But once we got him processing equipment on his farm, we noticed a, the, a flavor change. And so that trip on the donkey down the hillside to the mill was actually contributing a really unique kind of like strawberry flavor. So it's almost like that coffee was starting to ferment a little bit in a way that a dry process would. And so we've recreated that where now the coffee sits for three hours before it goes into processing. And his coffee has this really nice touch of fruit to it, but still really rich and sweet and caramely. Um, 
And then another really fantastic uh, thing from this farm is that his children have decided to become a part of it. So we've had, we've released for the first time an offering called the Familia Mencia. And that's, that's his children farming other farms that they have, they've taken over parts of the farm or they've acquired some more land. And to us, that's incredibly rewarding because it means the sourcing model is working in the way that we would intend that he's incentivized and is enjoying the rate he's getting for his, his uh, coffee and this long-term relationship with Kova. We're getting better coffee and more coffee and this amazing long-term relationship. And a lot of the young people in these areas, they, they go to the cities to find work. So they don't stay on the farm. It's a big issue. And uh, so it's really rewarding to see that his children have taken up the same but, business. That is really cool. And, you know, these partnerships, like you said, to be able to see the evolution of that and to see that the model is working, I think, you know, it makes a big difference. And also for the consumer to know that you're working with these growers directly. Um, I think, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for that too, because, you know, nowadays there's, there's been this shift in food to, we already kind of talked about the shift to more of a craft, whether it's a beverage or, or food and things like that. And a lot of it is people wanting to know what goes in there, the things they eat and the foods mm-hmm. and, and the things they drink. And, and that's, you know, starts with ingredients at times, but also all the way down for an agricultural product like coffee to the it starts in the farm. Um, and that's similar to wine too. It's that's kind of the, the saying that a lot, a lot of winemakers have is great wine starts in the vineyard. So mm-hmm. it's a lot about vineyard management and farming. And, and at the end of the day, this is a agricultural product, right? Mm-hmm. Same with coffee. So it's, um, it's, it's great that you're, you know, you using this model and I think it'll be exciting to see how it evolves over time. Yeah, I think it's critical to our success and being able to offer what we do. But it's a lot of work and a lot of attention to detail. And and it's complex because different countries and different producers all over the world, well, you can't put them all through the same rubric of expectation. Um, someone that owns two hectares of land is a lot different than someone that owns, you know, 100. So what they have access to in terms of organic certification. So our ability to have boots on the soil is critical to us you know, making sure that these farms are sustainably managed and that, and that they're, it's going to be a long-term relationship. Yeah. And, um, you know, another thing to bring up here is, uh, people can shop subscriptions, which is a great way to, you know, just keep the coffee kind of coming on autopilot. So, you know, you have a really cool little area on the website under subscriptions there at the top and with really cool uh, icons where you just, you know, boom, you choose your flavor profile, whether you want classic seasonal or something a little more unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you, you go through drip or espresso and you, you just, you know, you say how often you want it and then uh, how many bags and then it's, you know, it'll just come to you, which is great. And I've used this before uh, and it's awesome. The coffee just shows up and, and you always know you have fresh coffee, like you said, which is, you know, a, you're getting really good quality beans, great coffee and B, you know, you're getting it fresh. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you said, water and grind and everything, it's, uh, that kind of comes after, but those are the most important things. So you guys mm-hmm. make it really easy. Um, another thing that kind of, I was thinking about as we were talking about this is just the cost that's, that's involved of like traveling and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and there's just all the logistics and, you know, oftentimes I think a, a, a while ago people used to think like, oh, well, why would I pay 
I don't know, X amount for a cup of coffee or why would I do this or that? But it's, it's funny because it's actually, things have kind of flipped to where younger people and younger generations, the bulk of their expendable, um, or sorry, disposable income goes to like craft coffee or craft beer or whatever it is, or like buying, you know, really high quality organic food. That's like the first priority. Yeah. And then, um, and, and, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is just the cost of this stuff. So when you think about all the, the costs involved, it it actually seems like an incredible deal actually Mm -hmm. at the price point that it's at. Yeah. I think there's a consensus among folks and especially coffee that coffee really probably should be more expensive. And we would love to be able to, have the the market you know consumers support a higher price per pound for green coffee that would actually go to producers and um but you know there are some ceilings into what you can charge and and i think there's also a piece of it that we still want coffee to be accessible so we don't want to charge ten dollars a cup for a cup of coffee you know a normal cup of coffee because then it's not as accessible but it is interesting when you compare it to the beverages you know if you buy a craft beer and you pay six bucks if you're in la you know it might be ten um, oh yeah, easily. And you know, you might pay three dollars or four dollars for a coffee. That actually, the amount of time, effort, and energy that went into that is, you know, I think you could very easily make a case it's so much, so much of a, so much more. It's such a larger investment. It's just um, not as acceptable to charge as much for it. And yeah, there is so much that goes into it. I mean, even just the moisture loss. So you think about what someone buys coffee for. Well, you can lose you know, 16% of that moisture through the roasting process. So, um, so you're losing, you know, into evaporation, what you paid for. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. And I, I think it's fascinating. I think the subscription model is great. I think, you know, for folks that have busy lives and aren't interested in picking out their coffee every single week, it's just something that kind of keeps something fresh coming to them and they get to try something new. Um, also it's a really good gift. So that's been one of my favorite uses of it. You can gift like someone in your family or your friends that love coffee, a three month subscription where they just get to try something new regularly. And that's pretty fun. And it's really fresh. So if you go to the grocery store and buy coffee, um, it's actually oftentimes really hard to know if it's fresh. And even if you get it from a coffee shop, it's hard to know. But when we're, when we're bagging the coffee up, um, it's being roasted and then immediately put into bags and shipped out. So it's, it's incredibly fresh. Yeah, that's something to keep in mind. And the gift subscription is a really great idea, too. The holidays are going to be here here as soon as we know it. And with everyone doing quarantining and things like that, I know a lot more people are making coffee at home. So we're going to have the link here in the show notes and people can use our code Golden West, all one word and save a little money. John, this was really great having you on. And I think you gave you know people a lot of ideas to step up their coffee game in a big way. Yeah, thanks so much. It's really fun talking about all of this. Thanks for joining us today. If you like the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can support the show by subscribing to our email newsletter for just five bucks a month. Find it on our website at goldenwestpodcast.com. In it, you'll find unique bottles from both popular and undiscovered winemaking talent, among other things. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter, at Golden West Pod. 
or you can email us at goldenwestpodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and may or may not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or any other advice. Please eat and drink responsibly and thanks for listening.